0: and uh, as John says, in spirit and truth, and uh, just trust that if we've been able to do that, then we've benefited from it. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 today. This is where we're gonna start. We're not gonna spend a lot of time in this passage, but we'll start here this morning. As you may know, 1 Corinthians chapters 8, 9, and 10 are devoted to the subject of eating meat that had been dedicated to idols. We don't live in an idol culture. Uh, We don't worship idols or gods made of stone or wood or anything like that. And so this is a little bit, uh, uh, maybe a little bit unusual to us. So we're not not quite familiar with what's going on in this section of 1 Corinthians. Uh, But uh, they certainly did live in an idol culture. Uh, The city of Athens was full of idols and no doubt Corinth was very much the same. And so sacrifices would be made to these idols And so the meat that was sacrificed had been dedicated to the idol. Uh, Some of that meat, the the, the part that was not sacrificed to the idol, would either be eaten by those devoted to the idol, or some of it would be sold. And so uh, you could go and you could buy this meat, take it home and cook it and eat it for yourself. So the question arose, should Christians eat this meat or not? This meat had been dedicated to a false god. Eating it might involve us in the worship or devotion to that god. And so should Christians eat this meat or not? Some of this meat would be eaten at the idol's temple. And so there would be an area at the temple uh, dedicated to a feast or to a supper. And so would it be proper for Christians to go to the idol's temple and eat this food. And so that was apparently a pretty pretty vigorous controversy there in the church at at Corinth. Some believe that they could eat this meat and not violate any principle of of being a disciple of Jesus. Others being used to the idol said no we shouldn't eat this meat. And so there's quite, like I said a minute ago, quite a discussion about that, quite a controversy about that. That's not really what we're going to talk about, but I said all that just to set up the statement in verse 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever whatever you do in this matter, whether you eat or not eat, whether you drink or don't drink, whatever you choose to do, you make sure that you do it to the glory of God. In fact, everything we do in our lives, everything we do should be to the glory of God. And that's That's what we're going to talk about this morning. I've taken the title of the lesson from that expression there in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians in verse 31, all to the glory of God. Now the glory is a pretty big subject in the Bible. The Bible talks a lot about glory and so might do us well to spend a little bit of time talking about it. What what is glory? What does it mean to give glory? Well, glory has to do with splendor and majesty and position, a position that's worthy of honor or a person that's worthy of respect. And so when it comes to the glory of God, we think about the splendor of God, the majesty of God. God in all of His glory He occupies a position of might and strength and power and authority. And we recognize that strength and power and majesty. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 1, it says, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And so just notice how he's associated all those terms together. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 2, He's described as the God of glory. And in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, the Father of glory. So He is the God of glory, the Father of glory. Uh, He possesses glory. It's part of His, just part of His being. In Isaiah 35 and verse 2, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And so God's glory is something that He makes visible at times. They shall see the glory, the majesty of God. You might remember in Exodus 40 and verse 34 in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, the glory of God filled the temple, and it was so overwhelming that no one could go into the temple. And so just imagine this building being filled with so much much light, so much splendor, so much glory, that we just wouldn't be able to go into it. And so at times the glory of God can be seen. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. His mighty works reveal His glory as well. The 96th Psalm in verse 3 says, Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among the peoples. And so we see God's glory in His wonderful deeds. We see God's glory in His creation. We see God's glory in the the parting of the Red Sea. We see God's glory in the fall of the walls of Jericho. We see God's glory in the resurrection of Christ. And so we see God's majesty, His splendor, His authority, His greatness, His power in what He does. And so God indeed is the God of glory. But glory can also be given... And received. And so God possesses glory, but we can also give God glory, and God can receive glory as well. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 17, Peter talks about the Mount of Transfiguration when Christ received honor and glory from the Father. And so he receives glory from the Father. What does it mean to give glory to or to receive glory? We have a word for giving glory, to glorify. And so what does it mean to glorify, to give glory? Well, the one who is giving glory is acknowledging that person or that individual or God's splendor and majesty and power and dominion and all of those things. And so we're acknowledging those attributes of God. We're we're giving Him glory. We're attributing to Him power and majesty and dominion. Another word for giving God's glory is to, to praise Him. And so we praise Him for His majesty and splendor and authority. And so To give honor and glory or to glorify is to acknowledge the person as worthy of respect and admiration. We might glorify a king where we simply acknowledge his right to rule because of the authority that he possesses as king. And as we glorify God, we acknowledge his greatness and power and the right he has to rule over all things. The 29th Psalm in verse 1 says, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And so when we ascribe to him glory and strength, when we glorify him, we praise him and thank him and acknowledge his authority over us. And in, in short, we worship him. In Luke the second chapter in verse 20, the shepherds, after seeing the baby Jesus, went on their way glorifying and praising God. And so they're ascribing to God greatness and power and dominion, all those attributes. And they're praising Him for those things. And it's not unusual after someone is healed for them to go on their way glorifying God. So what we want to talk about this morning is giving God the glory, acknowledging His right to rule, Acknowledging His power and authority. Acknowledging His splendor and His majesty and all of those things that go along with it. So how can we do that? That's that's the question. How can we glorify God? How how is it, in, in what ways, what appropriate ways can we glorify God? Well, one is obvious. We glorify God when we worship God We glorify Him, we might say, straightforwardly or directly with our words. When we worship in spirit and in truth, John chapter 4 encourages us to do that, to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so when we do that, we glorify God. And so all to the glory of God. All that we do in worship is to the glory of God. And so in the songs that we sing, we glorify Him. Just think of the sum of the songs that we sing that in a very straightforward, direct way, glorify God. I will glorify. And <laughs> in, in, in singing that song, we're doing exactly what we ought to be doing. To God be the glory. Hallelujah. Praise Jehovah. Holy, holy, holy. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's perfectly right for us to do those things in worship. Has a long history among God's people. And go all the way back to the book of Psalms and maybe even prior to that and, and see these songs that are written, these psalms that are written giving praise to the Lord, these hallelujah psalms that begin with a statement of praise and end with a statement of praise. And so when we do that in our worship, we're doing what God's people have always done, we ought to regularly sing songs that praise God in this straightforward way. Now understand that we are to teach and admonish one another in Psalms and Hymns and spiritual songs. And so understand that it's appropriate for us to sing songs that encourage each other and that admonish one another, but but not to the neglect of songs and hymns that praise God directly. And so I would encourage our song leaders, I'm not a regular song leader, but encourage the song leaders, include these songs of praise, of gl- songs that glorify God in this straightforward way. In our prayers, when we come together in worship, we can praise God in that way. We, when we pray together, we'll devote a section of our prayer to thanksgiving. That's perfectly appropriate. We should be thankful for all that God has given to us. We'll devote a section of our prayer uh, to uh, requests. Uh, Father, we ask for, ask for this, we ask for that. A lot of times it has to do with people that are sick or people that are injured or going through difficult times. And so we ask God to grant us certain things and that, that's perfectly fine. Let your requests be made known to God. All of that's, all that's good but we can also devote a section of our prayer that simply praises God. We bow before you. We praise you for your power, for your wisdom, for your might, for your, all of those qualities that we've talked about to this point. If you look at uh, some of the passages that include praise to God in the book of Revelation, that's that's what you find. Revelation 4, verse 8. This is a throne scene. You remember, we ta- studied Revelation not long ago. We talked about the throne scene. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Verse 11 Worthy are, are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things. It's perfectly acceptable. It's right. It ought to be done that in our prayers we extol God for His greatness. but We praise God in other acts of worship as well. In the Lord's Supper, we acknowledge God's great work of salvation in Christ. Now we might not say it in so many words, but the very fact that we're devoting this time to the observance of the Lord's Supper, in which we magnify, we acknowledge Christ's work of salvation, and of course He does that uh, fulfilling God's work. When we honor that, devote our time and our, our attention to that, we're giving God glory. That's His work in the earth. And so, in other acts of worship, we glorify Him. And so, all to the glory of God. Now, understand we teach and admonish one another. Understand that. But all to the glory of God in worship. Well, there are three other things that I want to talk a little bit about, all from the Gospel of John that may not be quite as straightforward or quite as obvious to us, ways that we can glorify God or bring glory to God. One is found in John chapter 17. And so let's go over there, John chapter 17. You remember this this passage contains a long prayer prayed by Christ before He uh, uh, is is betrayed, and then arrested, and tried, and eventually crucified. John 17, we're going to begin. Let's just begin in verse 1. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up His eyes to heaven, He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You. And so, in this particular case, put me in a position of authority, and honor, and glory, and just as I've glorified You even as you gave Him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given Him He may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. And then verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. I glorified you on earth. And then the next phrase tells us How? He glorified God the Father on earth by accomplishing the work that you gave me to do. We glorify God when we do his work in the earth. We bring glory and honor to God as we carry out his mission in the earth. Now that might not be as obvious to us as glorifying God in worship. That's pretty straightforward and direct. But we glorify God when we go about doing God's work in our life, in in the world, in, in the earth. If someone you respected very highly, just think about a member of this congregation that you have a great deal of respect for. Maybe you know his character and because of his character, her character. Uh, you, you have a great deal of respect for that person or maybe something that he or she has done and you know this person, you have a great deal of respect for, for him or her. And let's say he calls you up one day, he says, uh, hey, Bob, I, 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 I want you to do something for me. My, uh, my grass is, is getting out of control <laughs> and uh, I, just, I just can't get to it. I just don't have the strength to get to it. Maybe he's elderly or something like that. Could, could you cut your? Could you come over and cut my grass for me? I would say, let me drop whatever I'm doing. I'll get right over, <laughs> you know. And you, you get out the lawnmower, and you you bag up the clippings, and and you weed eat, and you're making sure everything is just so. And why why would you do that work for him? You're honoring him in the work. You're not gonna do. Uh, you know, uh, a shoddy job. You're going to do it to the very, very best of your ability and carry it out just just as well as you can. Why? Why? Because you're honoring Him because of your respect for Him. And in doing this, you bring glory to Him. You're glorifying Him. You're acknowledging that He's worthy of your respect. And so it is with God. When God says, I want you to do these things in your life, in the world, among your circle of acquaintances, we we do it because we honor Him, we respect Him, and we want to carry out His will in the world. And in doing that, we glorify Him. And so Jesus says, I've glorified you on earth. How, How did He do that? I accomplished the work that you gave me to do. In Jesus' case, he went about teaching the kingdom of God. In John chapter 12, for example, and in verse 49, Jesus says, I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Now, I didn't just make up all this myself, Jesus said. The Father, he's given me a commandment, what to speak. And so I spoke His word. And in speaking His word He glorified the Father. He went about doing good, Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 tells us, went about doing good, healing all manner of disease and releasing those who were possessed by Satan. And so He went about doing good in the Father's name and in doing that He glorified His Father. And so His teaching glorified the Father. His works glorified the Father, even in the cross. And it may seem strange to us to think that the cross would be to God's glory, but it is in, in many ways, and we're going to come back to that in a minute. But, but even in the cross, Christ glorifies the Father. And so how, how can I glorify God? Well, I do it in worship, but look, when we're doing God's work in the world, we're bringing glory to God. What What is that work? When we advance the kingdom of God through teaching, through teaching others, by bringing them into the kingdom, when we are meeting together to worship, when we support the preaching of the gospel, when we're relieving the needs of God's people, we're we're glorifying God by doing His work. But also, when we as parents bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, we're glorifying God. That's what He would have us to do. When we do God's will as opposed to doing our own will, we're glorifying God. We're bringing all to the glory of God. And so when we bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, when we set priorities for them consistent with what the Lord would have them to do and to be, we teach them, all those things, we're glorifying God in that. When we order our families according to God's plan, We've talked about that in our Bible class. When the husband is the head of the wife, Christ is the head of the church. When when the wife submits to her husband in all things as to the Lord, uh, we're glorifying God. That's God's plan. Now, that's not the world's plan. That's God's plan. When we implement that, we're bringing glory to God by doing His work in the world. When we eliminate all ungodliness out of our lives, and that's a lifelong process, I understand, but when we eliminate... Uh, the ungodliness from our lives, and we develop godliness within our lives. We're bringing glory to God. Just just on an everyday, day-by-day way. When we let our light shine before men, Matthew 5 and verse 16, as the light of the world, we don't hide our light under a bushel, but we let it shine. We're glorifying God. And when we live so as to please God, that's Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 tells us that. That we should walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. When we live so as to please Him in all respects, we glorify God. All to the glory of God. How do we do that? When we come together to worship, okay, we understand that. But when we do God's work in the world, we glorify Him. We bring Him glory. Well, let's go to John chapter 15. Here's another passage from the Gospel of John. John talks a lot about God's glory and glorifying God. And In John chapter 15, we'll begin reading in verse 1, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me he can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, and whatever you wish, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. How can I bring glory to God? Well, I can bear fruit in my life as a disciple of Jesus. Bearing fruit is a pretty common figure of speech in the Bible. Jesus says, every good tree bears good fruit, and the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, very much like what He said in John chapter 15. So the idea is it's being productive in the kingdom, producing a good result in the kingdom or in our lives. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And you might remember that some of that seed that was sown by the sower Fell on good ground, and it produced result. It produced fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And so, the idea of bearing fruit might be associated with bringing people into the kingdom, teaching, teaching teaching the lost the gospel, and bringing them in. But that's not the only way that we can bear fruit in God's kingdom. We bear fruit personally in our own lives. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Remember the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As we develop those qualities, as we become more patient, as we become kinder, as we become gooder, I know that's not a word, but you understand? As we become more faithful, as as we develop more self-control and gentleness, As we produce those fruits, we're bringing glory to God. We honor Him. These are the qualities that He wants us to develop. And so as we yield to that, accept that, and produce that in our lives, we bring glory to Him. And then we bring glory to God through our good works as well. Colossians chapter 1 again and verse 6. Just as in all the world it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as has been doing in you also since the day you heard it, and understand the grace of God in truth, talking about the gospel. It's bearing fruit in you. And then look at verse 10. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. How do we glorify God? By bearing fruit. We bear fruit in every good work. Colossians chapter 1 tells us, Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than to receive, Acts 20 and verse 35. Jesus says, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and in prison, you visited me. When we do those kinds of works, in the name of Christ, we bring glory to God. Freely you receive, freely give, Mark chapter 10 and verse 8. Give and it will be given to you, Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Interesting statement found in the book of Hebrews in chapter 6. Hebrews 6 verse 10 says, God is not not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. God hasn't forgotten the love that you've shown toward His name by ministering to His people. And so in ministering to His people, we're showing our love for Christ's name. And so how can we glorify God? How do we glorify the Son of God? By doing good works in His name. When we do good works in His name, especially to His people, we glorify Him. And there's one more point I want to make. Look at John chapter 21. And so these last three points are all taken from the Gospel of John. John chapter 21. Remember this episode, this is after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is with the apostles, and he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. You remember that episode? He asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, well, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. We stop there sometimes and we'll go on. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now you, you've been sort of uh, free to do what, what you want, Peter, and go where you want, but the time is coming when you'll put out your hands, someone's going to bind you and take you where you don't want to go. Verse 19 comments on that. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. You know, we, we can glorify God in the way that we die. So here's Peter is going to glorify God in his death. He's going to die a martyr's death. He's going to die for the cause of Christ. And in doing so, he'll bring glory to God. Remember uh, Psalm 116 verse 15 says, The death of the saints is precious in the sight of God. Now the Bible other than this doesn't tell us how Peter died, but very ancient tradition going way, way back uh, says that Peter died Uh, A martyr's death by crucifixion in the city of Rome. Peter's death glorified God. He died for the cause of Christ. He was willing to give his life for the cause of Christ. Stephen's death glorified God. Uh, James' death in in Acts chapter 12 would have glorified God. Remember in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about, you know, I've, I've fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished the course. Uh, In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Paul's death glorified God. He died for the cause. And so his death glorified God. In Revelation 12 verse 11, these saints loved not their lives unto death, and they were faithful unto death. The death of Christ glorifies God. Look at uh, the book, the Gospel of John again, John chapter 12 this time. John chapter 12. And we're going to pick up, well, we could pick up in verse 23. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He associates his dying with glorifying God. And he continues on down to verse uh, 32. If I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to myself. And he was saying this to indicate the kind of death which he was to die. The death of Jesus, the cross glorifies God. And again, we might think, well, that's a weird thing to, to say. And, uh, 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 you know, this, isn't the cross a shameful thing? Doesn't it bring dishonor to the one who's crucified? Isn't it a rather ignominious death? Well, in, in a way it is. But looked at it from God's perspective in the cross, we see all the attributes of God that are worthy of our adoration and devotion. He accomplishes God's work of redemption by going to the cross. It's in the cross, more than anything else, that we see God's love and grace and mercy we see God's justice and is willing to sacrifice. And so all of those things are seen in the cross. And so, yes, the cross glorifies God. From a human perspective, it's a shameful thing. But from God's perspective, it's a wonderful, honorable thing. Now, we don't have to die a martyr's death to glorify God in our death. We all, all, all are going to die. We understand that. But we need not die a martyr's death, a violent death like Peter did, or Stephen did, or even Jesus did. But if we die as faithful Christians, devoted to Him and His cause, living according to His will and not our own, shining His light in the world, if we fight the good fight, if we keep the faith and finish the course, if we live and die in faith, we will die a death that glorifies God You know people like that, don't you? You, you You've gone to the funeral and, and you've thought about their life and how devoted they were, how faithful they were, and how they fought the good fight and finished the course. And you think, glory be to God for this person. Well, what a wonderful thing that would be for us, wouldn't it? To have that be in people's minds when it comes our time. He fought the good fight. He finished the course. He kept the faith. He's glorified God even in his death. Our primary objective in life is to glorify God. We want to make a good living. We want to live a nice, comfortable lifestyle, all of that. Our primary objective in life is to glorify God. How, How do we do this? Well, in our worship, of course but in the entirety of our lives, as we do God's work in the world, as we bear fruit for Him in our lives, and at the end of life, dying the death of the faithful. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunity to come together and to worship You. We pray, Father, that our work, our worship today has glorified You, that we have praised You and given You the honor and. Acknowledge your authority and your, your dominion, as is due you. Our Father, we pray that our efforts to glorify you will not stop when we exit the building today, but that in all of our lives, in every aspect of our lives, we bring glory to you. As we do your work in the world, as we bear fruit in our lives for you, and as we live in the prospect of death, we pray that we will bring glory to you. Our Father, we pray these things so that in eternity we may glorify you with all those who have gone before and praise you and give you the glory and the honor and the power and the authority that is so rightly yours. Help us to do these things, Lord. Help us to do them better than we have in the past.